Father, who do we have in heaven but you? There is nothing on this earth that we desire but you. Our hearts and our flesh may fail, but you are the strength of our hearts and our portion forever. I pray, Father, for the ways that we need to be reminded today of the magnitude of what it is that your presence is with us in all things, that there's nothing we truly have but you to pull us through, that you would remind us of that. You know, Father, better than we do what we need to hear from you. And so we ask that by your spirit, you would do that work today. But Father, we even pray right now for our pastor as he's traveling. We give you so much thanks that he was able to go on this trip that you made away. Father, I pray that uh, you would bring him back to us safely. Pray for the ways that he may need extra rest, that you would provide that. Father, we know that you did a great work in his heart, that there are many things that you revealed to him, maybe things that he can clearly define and many things he cannot yet. And so I ask for the ways that you are working in him, leading and guiding him, his spirit and his mind and his heart, that you would make things clear, that you would bolster him up. Father, we anticipate um, as a church community hearing from him and hearing the testimony of what you have done and are doing in order to lead us into what we are to do next. And so I pray that you would uh, embolden his spirit in that, give him the vision, and also, Father, give us the ears to hear and to receive. In your name we pray. Amen. So today we are going to just kind of take a bit of a turn, and we are actually going to jump into the Old Testament for our time together. I have a very strong affection for many of the people in the Old Testament. A lot of them I feel like I can identify with at tough times. And so today we're actually going to visit with the prophet Elijah. If you have your Bibles with you, you can turn or scroll to 1 Kings chapter 19. We're kind of going to be going through it piece by piece, so if it's helpful for you to have that in front of you, um, feel free to do so. So just a quick flyby with Elijah before we jump into today's actual text. Elijah was this lone prophet of God living in a very evil regime and time. If you ever start to think that things are worse now than they've ever been before, just flip in your Bibles to the Old Testament. During the time of Elijah, King Ahab and Queen Jezebel ruled the nation, and they are um, kind of the worst. 1 Kings chapter 16 actually says twice that Ahab did more to anger the Lord God of Israel than any of the kings before him. And then it says, if that isn't enough, he married Jezebel. So God calls Elijah to a life of active resistance against their brutal regime and the way that they led the people to do what was evil and of darkness. And in that time, God causes famine and drought to come over the land. But in that time, he actually provides Elijah with food and water and sustenance through some ravens, through a river, and also through a widow who her food supply just seems to magically be replenished every single day. And then when that widow's son dies, 
God gives Elijah the power to be able to raise her son from the dead. Then there's this wonderful scene, this confrontation on Mount Carmel, when Elijah has to stand alone against 450 prophets of the false god Baal. And God, in this incredible demonstration of his power, sends fire shooting down from heaven to consume the sacrifices. And the 450 prophets, who have been leading the people to do what is against God, are killed. And then, at God's cue, the rain returns. So, God has provided Elijah with food and water in impossible ways. He has given him the power when needed to raise someone from the dead. He has showed him his complete control over all the elements of nature and over evil, and he has protected him when he has had to face his enemies. He has firsthand experienced God's protection, provision, and power. Elijah should be riding high on all of this, right? He should have an unshakable confidence in God at this point. But let's actually see what follows Elijah experiencing God's provision and power firsthand. So let's go to the first few verses of 1 Kings chapter 19. Now Ahab told Jezebel, everything Elijah had done, and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. So, right on the heels of Elijah experiencing God's protection. He has seen what he's done. He has benefited from God's power. He's terrified of this. I think anytime in scripture when you hit a point where one of God's people does something that's a bit of a head scratcher, it's always, in my opinion, a good place to think, um, do I do this as well? Because honestly, it's a little tempting to judge Elijah here. However, if I'm honest with myself, I think I can far too often suffer from the same short-term memory loss when it comes to connecting the dots between God's faithfulness in the past and me being able to trust him in the present and the future. You got me through that. You did provide for me there. But this thing, this thing, it's a little too much. I'm not sure about this one. So I kind of get it here, actually, when Elijah doesn't even take a beat, immediately runs for his life. But was this just fear of Jezebel? Or is there something else going on with him? Picking up in verse 3 again. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, and while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. So, afraid of Jezebel's threats, yes, but also 
He doesn't say that here, does he? He says, I've had enough. He is worn down. He has been having to live a life that is righteous and good and upright, pushing back against a troubling world. I know better than my ancestors. I have been trying to do what's good and right. It doesn't seem like it's getting any better. Can anyone feel our friend Elijah here a little bit? Our God, yes, provides what we need in our struggles. The spirit is powerful, thanks be to God. But we are still human in this. And there are times when we may feel like, I just don't know how much I can keep doing this part of it. It's feeling like too much. You have been there for me. You have provided for me. But today, I want to cry uncle. Today, I actually would prefer to go alone into the wilderness and hide. Defeated, disheartened, I just would like for it to be done. Anyone else feeling him bare? Verse 5 says, all at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. Then he went into a cave and spent the night. So Elijah says, I've had enough, God. Can't do this anymore. And God says, have you seriously forgotten everything I just did? I can't use you if you're going to have this moment of weakness and doubt me. Are you kidding me? Well, that's what I would have said. Thankfully, I'm not God. But Elijah says, God, I've had enough. I'm so worn down. And God's response, first things first, you need a nap and you need a snack. Can we take a moment to feel God's kindness here in that he knows we're human? Elijah is crushed by the weight of everything. God doesn't come in hot with rebuke here. What a kindness this is. Rather, the first step, let's deal with some of your physical needs. You need some rest. We got to deal with this blood sugar. We need to hydrate a little more. God knows we're human. And he gives us the grace to attend to our human needs. I think sometimes we can put more pressure on our human capacity than God does. So after recovering physically, we see that Elijah has replenished enough that he now can move from flight mode to having a direction again. And after 40 days of traveling through the wilderness, he arrives at Horeb at Mount Sinai. So this next step, this next thing he does is he goes to a place that is known to be a place where God brings his presence and meets with his people. So the next step in his stress and fatigue to caring for his body is to intentionally seek a place to meet with God. 
Verse 9, and the word of the Lord came to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. So God asks him a question, which he tends to do. Jesus is great also at just asking these questions. Why does God ask questions when he already knows the answer? We have a creator that while being more powerful and holy than our minds could ever comprehend, also desires intimacy of relationship with his children. Anytime you see God asking one of those kind of obvious questions in scripture, that should be an encouragement and a reminder that he wants personal engagement with him. So he asks the question, and Elijah, he goes there because God invites him to. God, I've cared about what is of you, tried to be what you're about, hasn't been fruitful. They've actively destroyed what's of you. They've killed everyone else who cares about you. This is pretty actually traumatic, what he's been through. I've seen them murder everybody else. And now after all of my labor, my work, trying, they're coming for me. This part really helps make a little more sense as to why he kind of hit that point where he ran and said, enough. I'm alone. I'm it. It's so tough to go through hardship with other people alone. It's this extra level of darkness. But the beauty of this point here is he can come to God with the very fullness of his concerns and his complaints. There is something, friends, about being able to give voice to name to God the specifics of what we are struggling with. Do you ever really take the time to be specific with him? I think sometimes that can be hard because to be specific with God is also sometimes admitting things to yourself that you're actually struggling with. But it's the one place you can go with the fullness, the details, all the things. You can never name something for him in those weak moments that would cause him to push away from you. So verse 11, the Lord says, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went and stood at the mouth of the cave. So Elijah voices to God the depths of his concerns, his emotions, and then he waits. Now, can God be present in wind and earthquakes? 
earth shakes when he's with Moses on Sinai. The psalmists and prophets sometimes use wind imagery to talk about God's arrival. Amos likens the day of the Lord to an earthquake. The earth moves at the crucifixion. Wind comes at Pentecost. Can God be present in fire? He's called a consuming fire. He shows up to Moses in a burning bush. He leads his people out of slavery at night in a pillar of fire. When he's present in the tabernacle, fire descends. The spirit comes and rests on God's people in tongues of fire. But here, in this moment, for Elijah, God chooses to be present in the soft whisper of a voice. He meets his child as he's in this weak, vulnerable moment in the way that his child needs to be met in his current state. His presence comes in this tenderness, it's calm. It had to have felt so comforting for Elijah. Soft, close, I'm right here. And in order to not miss God coming in the way that he actually needs him, Elijah had to stop. He had to be quiet, and he had to wait. It really can serve us well at times to find space where we can cut out the noise and the chaos so that we don't miss where God may actually be trying to speak to us in the ways that he knows our spirits, our souls, our minds, and our bodies need. Most of us cannot go to a catered mountain retreat for 40 days, but we can work to find moments where we can actually pause so we don't miss him. Verse 13. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. The only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael, king of Aram, also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel, and anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel-Meholah, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazael, and Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and whose mouths have not kissed him. So, Elijah has this encounter with God, God's presence comes to him in this soft whisper, and he repeats the question, what are you doing here? Why does he repeat it? Why do we have this twice? It's actually kind of a great literary device. Because of what just happened, it's supposed to ring a little less urgent now. Because he just experienced God's comfort with him, it's not supposed to be as intense because he has felt now God's presence and care. God's presence here is supposed to help restore a level of Elijah's perspective. Restored perspective in the reality that God is with him. And God's presence coming to him is an answering of his need. 
Sometimes, yes, God specifically heals, changes hearts, restores relationships, stops evil, and delivers. Thanks be to God. And sometimes God's answer in our need is him reminding us that he is with us in it. That he cares about the concerns we are dealing with. He cares about how we're impacted. So while sometimes those answers might not come the way we think or want or are waiting for, the assurance of his presence with you is an answer in your struggles. And then at the very end here, we see God tell him what's coming next. Jewish scholar and Rabbi Malbim says that each person that is being anointed here is actually a direct response to each of Elijah's complaints. Elisha would strive to bring the people back to covenant relationship with God. Hazael would punish those who broke down the altars, and Jehu would punish those who were responsible for killing the prophets. So God validates his very real concerns here. And he lets him know, I actually am going to handle all of these. And I'm actually going to involve you in it still. You need to be the one to anoint them first. And then this great tag on at the end, that part, Elijah, about how you're kind of feeling alone. I'm going to make sure that you realize you're not. I love here. When God does a little, like, I don't know if it's fair to say it's showing off because it's God and showing off has a bad connotation, but I love that it's not, I'm not just going to bring you a companion. How does 7,000 sound? Is that enough for you? He just goes above and beyond. The work of righting the wrongs is hefty, is it not? It can threaten friends to take us out. It almost took Elijah out here. But God met his servant in that, and he can meet us in that as well. So sanctuary, where have you been feeling overwhelmed, discouraged, disheartened by the pain and the heaviness in the world? What things are wearing at your soul, at your body, as we try to be light in darkness, when griefs just pile on, when bodies just seem to keep breaking down and are not working the way they used to, when work pressures, family pressures increase, when relationships that were once stable and thriving break down, when we wake up again today to another mass shooting news story. When the demonic hold of white supremacy takes another innocent life. When that depression just descends and it won't lift in those moments. Because we are human and they will happen. When overwhelmed, attend to your spirit. And remember that attending to your spirit means taking care of your physical needs. It means you can name to God honestly and specifically 
what is really on your heart and your mind and prioritize for the sake of your life, cultivating intentional space to be in God's presence and hear from him so you don't miss what he may be saying to you, even when it comes as a whisper. Don't miss the reminders of his presence. When we may want to give in at times or give up, we have a God where it is not even in his nature to give up on us. Such a kindness and relief. So rest in that, friends, and seek our good and kind God in exactly where you are. Amen? Please join me in prayer. Father, I thank you um, for your servant, Elijah. I thank you that you include stories like this in scripture, stories that can remind us of how you bear us up when we become weary and tired. Father, I thank you that when we have those moments, whether it just be um, a quick moment or maybe even a season for some of us where we're kind of feeling this, I've kind of had enough. We thank you that even when we feel that way, you are always more than enough. I pray, Father, for those today that need to be uh, strengthened by your spirit in the ways where they are weary that you would do that work. Father, where we need to be a little more mindful of the care of our humanity, that you would show us those things. Father, I pray for the times when we may be too afraid even to name the specifics of our struggles for what that might reveal about us, that you would embolden us, give us the courage to be able to speak those things out to you. Help us remember that you are a good father, that your care for us is tender in those moments. And Father, we live lives that are so fast and loud and busy. We thank you that you have called so many of us to such good work. But also, forgive us for the ways that we allow those things to drown out you. I pray that you would help us to have a desire to seek the space, the quiet that we would lean into you instead of just continuing to move through the frenzy. Father, we come to you asking for these things because where else do we have to go? You are the one who holds for us eternal life. You are the one who holds for us all hope, power, strength, and joy. We offer these things to you, and in your name we pray. Like to invite Pastor Rose up as we continue to worship through communion. Thanks, Rory. Can you join me in thanking Jennifer for the word that she just shared with us this morning? That was such a practical encouragement and just a reminder of how God is so kind to us in our most human moments of life. And so I hope that you are encouraged today by God's tender care and mercy for us. Well, at Sanctuary, we celebrate communion on first Sundays. This is a part of who we are, a part of our life together. And it's an, an opportunity 
for us to collectively remember, to remember Jesus's enduring love for us when he went to the cross on our behalf. An extravagant way in which God shows uh, his kindness to us. And so today, we're invited to remember sanctuary. Today, we're invited to remember what the Lord has done for us out of his great kindness. And so for those who are joining us online, I want to encourage you to gather your um, elements as we prepare and as we um, uh, prepare for communion today. And for those of us who are here in person, uh, I want to just share a few instructions for us this morning um, as we corporately um, celebrate communion, but also move forward as we um, bring back that movement element of communion together. It's been a while since we've done that, and so just a few words of instructions. And as I do that, I want to just invite the elders and our hospitality team just to take their places for communion as we prepare together. Well, in just a moment, our elders will be stationed up front. We'll have three stations here serving each of our sections in the auditorium. Uh, we will begin by, um, in the back, um, releasing each row to come forward for communion, and we'll make our way forward together. There's also a visual on the screen so you can see kind of what this movement looks like as you can prepare um, for that time. As you come forward, all of the elements today are gluten-free, and so you can take and partake together um, without any hesitation. Communion also is open to anyone at Sanctuary, anyone here who has placed their trust in Jesus as their Lord and Savior, so please come. And also at Sanctuary, we practice in communion uh, through intinction. And so what that means is simply take the cracker, you'll dip it in the juice, and receive and remember Jesus' sacrifice for you, Sanctuary. We'll also have a member of the prayer team on either side of the corner up front here. They are ready to pray for you if you have that need. And finally, if anyone is unable to move forward, that is no problem at all. For any reason, I will be making my way around the auditorium. Simply raise your hand as an indication, and I'll be sure to serve you at your seat where you are. Sanctuary Communion. It is an opportunity for us to remember that all that Jesus has done on our behalf in our full dependence on him. And so my invitation for us today as we remember, remember the source of your salvation. Simply remember Jesus as the source of our salvation. So I want to invite you to come to this sacred table, not because you must, but because you may. Coming to testify, not that you are righteous, but that we sincerely love the Lord Jesus Christ and we desire to be his true disciples. We come not because we are strong, but because we are weak. Not because we have any claim on the grace of God, but because in our frailty, in our sin, we are in constant need of God's mercy and help. The Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread. After he had given thanks, he broke the bread and he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this 
in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you take and eat of this bread and drink of this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray. Lord God, we are grateful for this opportunity that we have to simply remember this holy act that you tell us over and over and over throughout scripture, this invitation to remember, to remember and look back over all the ways that you have been faithful, the ways that you have showed up in the most simple and the most extravagant of ways, Lord. And so today we take a moment simply to pause and to remember, Lord, to remember the grace that you have poured out over our lives, the ways in which that we are changed because of your goodness in our lives, Lord. So Lord, as we come to this table, as we take and eat and, and drink, Lord, would you remind us again, bolster our, our faith today as we take this communion. Lord, remind us of your goodness. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, Sanctuary, at this time, I want to invite you. The table is open. As the hospitality team invites you, please come forward, partake, and remember all that the Lord has done for us. Amen.
sanctuary. The prayer team will continue to be up front. If there are any things that you came in today just feeling extra burdened about or some extra things you've been carrying, um, we do strongly invite you to uh, pray with the prayer team. They are here to help share those burdens with you and pray on your behalf. Also, if you did sign up to partner with a child um, through sponsorship from Ghana, you can find your envelope in the back. Just look for a volunteer and they will help you find your child's name. Also, if you are interested in partnering with a child, you can still sign up today. Um, you can find the photo booth in the back and they will do all they can to get you set up for that as well. If you would please stand to join me in the benediction. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or imagine, according to the power of the Holy Spirit at work within us, to him be glory both in the church and in Christ Jesus, now and forever. Amen. <laughs>